Hi, my name is Natalie Burgess, and the focus of this episode is the recent week-long protest done by the Nulajat Land Guardians, a group of Inuit hunters, in opposition to the expansion of the Mary River Iron Mine in the Kikiktaluk region of Baffin Island and its relation to the alarming rates of food insecurity in Canada's northern communities. Early February of this year, the Nulajat Land Guardians, a group of seven Inuit hunters, formed a blockade on the transport road and airstrip of the Mary River Mine, owned by Baffinland Iron Mines Corporation in the Mary River area of Kikiktaluk region, Baffin Island, Nunavut. So what were they protesting exactly? The Mary River Mine was under consideration for an expansion and increasing their exports of iron ore. They were also proposing um, the construction of a 110-kilometer railway through Canada's north from the mine to the ocean for shipping. So the land guardians and communities were worried that the company was moving too fast and that the expansion would have a negative impact on the wildlife and environment in their areas, specifically the caribou, narwhal, and seal populations, which they rely heavily on for food. Um, The blockade caused 700 workers to be isolated in the mine, and the company argued that they couldn't deliver fresh food or medical supplies, and seeked and were granted an injunction, which prohibited the protesters from blocking any entryway. Now, the Guardian's lawyer, Lori Adlow, said that it was unnecessary considering the hunters ended their blockade once the QIA, the Kikiktani Inuit Association, and the Nunavut Tungavik Incorporated agreed to have a meeting with them. So, the QIA is the organization that represents the region's Inuit population, and NT Inc. is the land claim body responsible for defending Inuit in terms of treaty rights and negotiations. A group of mine workers actually wrote an anonymous letter um, in support of the protesters stating that the land was rightfully theirs and that um, the Inuit population should be the ones making decisions for it. They also talked about how they've seen the destruction the mine has already brought to the land and um, that they were advised to not write the letter considering um, higher-ups would not be happy with them so they did choose to remain anonymous and you can find that on cbc the whole letter is published world wildlife fund canada or wwf canada for short published a video on their youtube channel and their website called inuit testify in baffinland mine expansion hearing which features testimonies from inuit elders regarding their concerns of the expansion of the mine and what it would mean for them and their communities regarding their environment and their food security most of the original testimonies are in Inuktitut, and the translations are taken from the subtitles of the video. 
Jaikalazi Kilikti expressed his and the Mitamasalik Hunter and Trappers organization's concerns regarding the railway and its disruption to the caribou migrations. Quote, During the Nunavut Planning Commission hearings, we reported our concerns regarding the narwhals in Milne Inlet and the caribou. If they're going to build a railway, we told them that caribou have no fears when they are many in large herds. The Mitamatalik HTO have expressed their concern that the caribou might be disrupted by the railway and the trains during these mass migrations whenever the caribou come back. They think that many caribou will be hit by the train once the railway is up and running. Many caribou would be hit by the train during mass migration. No doubt about that. Quote. He also spoke on the pre-existing effects of the mine on their food sources. Quote. I have a cabin here at Tuapak. Seals and narwhals would be very calm. That is not the case anymore with the shipping traffic. If there is a loading ship coming in the area here, the narwhals and seals will leave the area. These areas have definitely been affected. Quote. Jonasy Mukpa described an experience hunting in another mining area. Quote, I think it was from the Nanisivik mine area that I had caught a seal, and some of its liver was unhealthy. It had black areas, and there was a different kind of red color to it. And for that reason, I expect that this will happen also to the seal in our area. Quote, being one of their primary food sources, it makes sense that there would be worries about how the mine will affect the animals, considering what effects animals would affect them. Matthias Kaunak spoke of their narwhal hunting experiences. Quote, when we are in Milne Inlet or Tremblay Sound on the land waiting for narwhals to come, I have observed that even when the loading ships pass at farther distance, the narwhals will still hear them. The narwhals will dive when ships are around and they can stay underwater for more than an hour. When the ship has completely disappeared, the narwhals would start to come back to the surface. <laughs> To summarize the testimonies of the elders and to add on to the pre-existing effects of the mine, um, the seal and narwhal populations have been reduced and scared away in the area um, due to the increased water transportation and the shipping traffic for the mine goes right through Canada's biggest marine conservation area, Talarutiup Imanga. Another problem pre-existing with the mine is the red dust from the iron ore. The trucks that travel along the roads do not have tarps covering their open backs, so the red dust from the iron ore flies out and lands on the snow in the areas. Um, that means that the communities have problems with drinking water because they can't melt the snow to drink because it's contaminated. Um, another thing is that the construction of the railway for the mine would poten potentially disrupt caribou migration. And Jay Kalazi Kilikti mentions that when caribou are in big herds, they aren't scared. So if they aren't scared of the trains, they won't be hit. 
Another thing that um, is a problem with the caribou is that um, the Inuit have worked very hard to increase um, the former declining population of the caribou. Um, so putting this railway in would just disrupt all the work that they had done and um, kill off another food source of the few that are already available to them. I'm now going to read a section from the letter that the workers of the mine wrote to the Inuit. Um, this is from the CBC article called Stranded Baffinland Baffinland Mine Workers Pen Open Letter to Protesters Say They Support Inuit. So, it says that, quote, On many occasions we've looked around at the massive piles of iron ore surrounded by miles of rusted snow, the colossal diesel tanks, and the clouds of exhaust fumes that hang above the camp and thought, quote, What the hell are we doing here? Quote. So, the mine workers can see the the negative effects of the mine that have already impacted the community. So it makes sense that doubling their exports would be of a concern to the community, considering not only would it increase the pollution in the area, but more exports mean more means more transportation, which would further disrupt the. Um, aquatic animals that they are dependent on to survive. So what does this protest have to do in the grand scheme of things? The Nunavut Food Security Coalition found that nearly 70% of households in Nunavut face food insecurity, 35% of those being moderate insecurity and 34% of those being severe. That is over eight times higher than the Canadian average. So with such high rates of food insecurity facing our northern communities, what has the Canadian government done to help? Well, they implemented a program called Nutrition North Canada, NNC for short, which by design, as quoted from the government website, is, quote, Nutrition North Canada is a Government of Canada program that helps make that helps make nutritious food and some essential items more affordable and more accessible, quote. So basically the program looks to subsidize um, basic southern necessities like milk, bread, eggs, flour, frozen fruit and veg, etc. And I think it's safe to say that the execution of this program is not as well planned out as the design entails. Tracy Galloway um, an assistant professor and researcher at the University of Toronto um, did a study in 2016, published in 2017, um, that found that the NNC program did little to actually reduce the cost of food in the North. Um, the programs had no price cap or regulations, so the discretion is up to the retailer. And there was no punishment for retailers who abused the program. They would simply be removed from it which would leave communities without help. Now, a CTV article on the cost of food insecurity in the North, published in October of 2020, 
interviewed Lorraine Nitro of the Vuntut Gwich'in First Nations in Yukon, who had recently paid $20 for a hamburger and $7 for three bananas. The NNC program is supposed to have a medium subsidy for fresh fruit. I don't know about you, but $7 for three bananas does not sound too subsidized to me. Um, there were some modifications made in to the program in 2019 to include milk, baby food formula, and frozen fruits and vegetables in the high subsidy rates, and I don't know the date, but there was also an amendment that included menstrual products in it because they were inaccessible to um, northern communities. Um, the CTV article also interviewed Vern Chichu of the Mushkegawak Council, which is a council representing eight Cree nations in northern Ontario. And they said, quote, um, it, the NNC, is attempting to provide funding, but it is just a drop in the bucket, quote. So indigenous communities all obviously feel that this program is quite subpar and doesn't do much to actually help them. Um, I don't know how many of you have paid $20 for a hamburger, but um, that does not sound like a program that is working to reduce costs. A Manitoban article on the NNC published in no November of 2020 um, mentioned that the government made a $25 million one-time COVID addition to the NNC budget, which sounds great, but if the program's already not working, I don't know how much that would actually help them. And another thing that this um, article brought into view is that the NNC doesn't cover bottled water or fishing and hunting gear, um, which would be essential to Inuit people, considering, as we can see um, in the protest communities they didn't have clean water due to the iron ore many indigenous communities all across canada don't have drinking water so as a program designed to help northern communities which tend to be of high indigenous populations you would think the government would consider providing bottled water another thing is fishing or hunting gear which when caribou, seal, and narwhal are prime Inuit diet, it would make sense to help cover their gear if you were trying to help them with food security. It would also make sense to try and reduce environmental impact or the impact, let's say, of a mine in the area so that it doesn't harm their caribou population. So what do I want you to take from this episode? The Mary River Mine expansion threatens the environment, wildlife, and well-being of the Inuit communities surrounding it. The railway specifically threatens the migration of the caribou, and the increased shipping traffic in the waters threatens their aquatic animal supply. These effects would be piled on top of the already negative effects on the community caused by the mine, such as the contaminated drinking water and the reduction of seal and narwhal populations in their area. Northern communities already face higher rates of food insecurity, and adding 
the expansion to the mine would increase the community's susceptibility. The NNC, a program implemented by the government that was supposed to make food more affordable, does little to improve costs and ultimately ignores the Inuit traditional way of life. And finally, instead of implementing programs that do little to help and forcing mine expansions into communities that don't want them, Canada should be listening to indigenous populations and what they need instead of implementing, quote, advancements that do little to improve the lives of our most vulnerable communities. Indigenous communities should be consulted regarding the programs implemented there in their communities and what the real effectiveness of these programs are. We should be uplifting our vulnerable communities, not pushing them back down. My name is Natalie Bridges, and thank you for listening to this episode.